Good job, guys. They're also available for anniversaries, weddings, and birthday parties, if you'd like to contact them. Before the Olympics, there were the Isthmian Games in ancient Corinth. And the favorite event in those games was the relays. In the relays, those who were the starters were given a torch, and they would run to the next leg, pass the torch, they would run to the next, pass the torch, and so forth, until the race was completed. This caused the Greeks to coin the phrase, let those who have the light pass it on. That, in essence, is our responsibility as Christians. Those who have received the light are to pass it on. That is the Great Commission. Those who have received the light are to pass it on. And yet studies reveal that 95 out of 100 professing Christians have never led another person to faith in Christ. 95 out of 100 who say that they know Jesus Christ as Savior have never been involved in leading another person to faith in Christ. Why is that? Well, I think there are four basic reasons. One is that we are preoccupied oftentimes with good things. We get caught up in Little League. There is football, baseball, soccer. There is ballet. There are civic organizations. All of these things we do, they are good things. But sometimes they become substitutes for doing the thing the Lord has called us to do. As a matter of fact, even in the church, our church work can become a substitute for doing what God has called us to do. I mean, after all, I'm in the choir, I'm a deacon, I'm a Sunday school teacher, I serve on a committee, I do something else. One of the reasons that we don't lead other people to faith in Christ is that we are preoccupied with good things. Another reason that we do not lead others to Christ is Satan has convinced us we don't know how. Ladies and gentlemen, very simply, all that is required to pass on the light is to have the light. If you have the light, then you pass on the light. You simply tell what Christ has done in your life. A third reason that we do not share our faith is that some are embarrassed by their life. Now, we know that we are not living as we profess to believe, and so because we are embarrassed by our lives, we do not share Jesus with others. Fourth reason is poor theology. I am astounded at the number of churches today who have bought into universalism the idea that everyone's going to heaven. You don't have to worry about it. Everyone is going to heaven. So as a result, 95 out of 100 professing Christians never lead another person to faith in Christ. Well, this week you're going to have the opportunity to be involved in passing on the light. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we have Team Impact here. Some of you are familiar with these men. They do feats of strength. They have been on television. They, they are very involved. They were professional athletes and so forth. And so they come in and they do all these things. You know, I mean, they break blocks. They 
tear clappers out of the handbells. They, they, you know, they, they just do all kinds of things like that. I could do it. I'm not going to, but I, I could do those things. But they are going to be here, and the sole purpose for their being here is to share the gospel of Christ. That's it. I mean, this is not an attendance campaign. This is that you and I might invite our friends who are not saved. What I don't want you to do is to go out and round up a bunch of Methodists and Presbyterians and others who truly are saved and invite them to come with you. It is for those people who are not saved. You have friends you work with, you go to school with. Those who are not saved, if you will bring them, you will have the opportunity to see some of them saved. Now take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning in verse number 7. And I want you to see an example of witnessing what it means. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Now, as we look at these verses, Jesus is witnessing to the woman and he presents himself as an example for witnessing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand the importance, the necessity of witnessing because we are always one generation away from paganism. So it is important that we are witnesses. Now, as I look at this, it says in verse number four that he had to pass through Samaria. Why? He had to pass through Samaria. Why? Well, it wasn't a geographic necessity. In fact, there were many Jews when they came to the land of Samaria, they would detour around it because they believed it was unholy sod and they were not going to set foot on this unholy sod of Samaria. So it was not a geographic necessity. Instead, it was a spiritual necessity. When Jesus said, or when the Bible says that he had to go through Samaria, it was because of a spiritual requirement. You see, this was the Father's will for Jesus at this time, and Jesus was committed to obedience to the Father. That was his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. So understand, first of all, that Jesus was absolutely committed to being obedient to the Father. Secondly, 
There was a woman in Samaria prepared by the Holy Spirit who was ready to receive the witness, ready to receive the gospel. So the Bible says in verses 1 through 3 that Jesus left a revival and he went to share with this one adulterous woman. He was motivated to go because of compassion for this person who was not a believer. So what is our motivation? I am speaking to you about witnessing, about sharing your faith. What is the motivation for doing it? Very simple. It is love. First of all, love for God. Now, I would imagine most of you, perhaps all of you, but most of you would confess that you love God. If I ask you today, do you love God? I'm sure that I would think all the hands would go up. Maybe one or two not, but I would think all the hands would go up. Do you love God? But do you know, ladies and gentlemen, the demonstration of love for God is obedience to God. And the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So why then do we share our faith? Why are we concerned about people who are lost? Because we love God. And the Lord has said that's what we are supposed to do. So we are motivated out of love for God, and then we are motivated out of our love for man, a genuine love for man. That's true physically, is it not? I was thinking about Dr. Williams sitting out there. If, if he knew the cure to cancer, don't you think that he would be spreading that good news everywhere? If he knew how all these people who are suffering from the disease of cancer, if he knew the answer to that, he would be sharing that. Well, my friend, you and I know the answer to sin. Therefore, we should be sharing the good news. Now, the motivation then is love because we love God, because we love people and we share our faith. There are always obstacles to sharing our faith. And there was with Jesus. You'll notice in verse number 6, the Bible says, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. Now, Jesus was divine, but he was also human. And so the Bible says that he was tired. He was tired. He could have rationalized, well, you know, somebody else is probably going to catch her. Somebody else will share their faith. I, I'm, I'm, or he could have procrastinated. Well, you know, I'm tired today. Maybe I'm going to put it off to tomorrow. And if she's, still, if she's here tomorrow when I come to the well, then I will share with her. And so one of the obstacles we have is weariness. Isn't that one of the reasons that we don't become actively involved in sharing our faith is we're tired. In the first church that I pastored, I was visiting with the uh, principal of the middle school, I believe it was. And I invited him to our church. I was pastor of the First Baptist Church in this little town. And I invited him to our church. And I'll never forget, he said, I don't have the energy to be a Baptist. <laughs> well, sometimes I don't either. I mean, you know, they'll wear you out in a Baptist church. They want you involved in everything. And so I don't have the energy. Well, that's exactly what Satan is going to tell you this week. Whenever we get to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and so forth, rather than reaching out to your friends, those people you know who do not know Jesus Christ, Satan is going to whisper in your ear and say, you know, you're tired. 
I mean, you're already involved in the church. You, you have choir practice. You've got to go to that. You have Sunday school. You've got to call all those people. You have all of these things that you do in the church. I'm already involved. One of the reasons or one of the obstacles that we have to deal with is weariness. I'm tired. I told Steve, I said, my goodness, I've got to be there Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. But then I'm paid to be here, you know. Y'all have to come for nothing. In fact, when you get here, we're going to ask you to give something. But, you know, it's, the, the, the fact is that one of the obstacles we have to deal with is that we are worn out. And then there's another one in verse number 9. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings, with Samaritans. So there is this obstacle that we have to deal with of staying in our group. I mean, don't reach out to anyone of a different denomination, of a different religious experience, because we don't want them to think we think that we are better than they are. Right? Ronnie Simone is a friend of mine. He is my guide in Israel. Ronnie's Jewish. I'm Christian. I have prayed for Ronnie for years. and I've shared my faith with him. And he asked me one time about it. He said, you know that I'm Jewish. I said, I know you are, Ronnie. I said, but if I believe what I say I believe, if I really believe it, then what kind of friend am I if I do not share with you what I believe? If I really believe what I say that I believe, then I am willing to share with other people. And then, of course, as I look at this, not only was there the religious issue, you know, stay in your little group, there's also the racial issue. She was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. And when it says that it was in, in verse number nine there, it says, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That is to be very kind. They couldn't stand each other. So there was this racial issue as well that they had to deal with. So as I look at this, there is the witness. Jesus is our example. And then the attention turns to the woman who received the witness. Now, truthfully, she was an unlikely candidate. And usually when there is an unlikely candidate, we want to ignore that person. But she was unlikely because she was already religious. You'll notice down in verse number 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. So what she is saying is that I have a religious heritage. I, I already have a religion. My fathers worshiped in this mountain, but Jesus witnessed to her anyway. Why? Here's a woman who is already religious, but Jesus shared his faith with her. Why? Because she was wrong. Look at verse number 22. You worship that which you do not know. Albert Barnes said this probably refers to the comparative ignorance and corruption of the Samaritan worship. Though they received the five books of Moses, yet they rejected the prophets. And of course, all that the prophets had said respecting the true God. She was religious, but wrong. And so Jesus witnessed to her. In fact, if you read through the scripture, the gospels, you'll find many times that Jesus witnessed to those people who were already religious. Nicodemus was religious when he came to Jesus. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, not only was he religious, the Bible says that he was a teacher of religion. 
In John chapter 3, verse number 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? See, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, this religious teacher, you must be born again. You have to be born from above. And Nicodemus said, what are you talking about being born again? Can I enter my mother's womb a second time? Jesus said, you you are the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious man, a moral man, you have to be born again. Nicodemus was religious, but Jesus witnessed to it. Paul was a religious man, even when he persecuted the church. He persecuted the church in response to his religious beliefs. Folks, sometimes we are hesitant to witness to people of other religious denominations. And yet we are familiar with the studies that have been done suggesting that most of the people, most of the members in our churches do not know the Lord. See, that's one of the things that always concerns me. Most of the people in our churches are members of the church, but they do not know the Lord. So she was an unlikely candidate. She was already religious. Not only that, she was immoral, and we certainly are uncomfortable with those people. If you notice there in verse number 18, Jesus said, For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Her immorality did not keep Jesus from witnessing to her, nor should it us. The truth is, if we are good church people and we dress up and look nice and do all that, sometimes we're uncomfortable with people who are involved in immorality. And they need the gospel. In the last church that I pastored, I witnessed, and this was 25 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago, but I witnessed to a woman... Uh, who was being paid $10,000 a month as a mistress to a man there in Oklahoma City. And she came to know Jesus as Savior. It doesn't make any difference. People are involved in all kinds of things, but they still need the gospel. They still need to know about God's love. As I look at this story, I see that this unlikely candidate became an unlikely convert. Now it was progressive as I look here in verse number 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. As she listened to Jesus and Jesus told her all about her life, she said, you must be a prophet. When she first met him, she thought that he had just come to get water. And she said, no, you you must be a prophet. But then look how she grew in verse number 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. But do you see the progression of her faith? Jesus went to her. The Holy Spirit had been working with her. At first, he was just a man. And then she said, I perceive you must be a prophet to know the things about me that you know. And then she believed that he was the Messiah. It was progressive. There's another story in the New Testament about Jesus giving sight to a blind man. And I've enjoyed studying that passage of Scripture because I I noticed the progression of his coming to Christ. First of all, he believed that Jesus was a man. In John 9, 11, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. That was his explanation. How did you get your sight? He said, a man put some clay on my eyes 
And I, I received sight. So he saw him as a man. Then he progressed to a prophet in, in John 9, 17. He is a prophet. And then in John 9, 38, and he said, Lord, I believe. Folks, here's what I believe. I believe if you are willing to be an instrument of God this next week, that the Lord is going to use you so that some unlikely candidates become unlikely converts. As you pray for them, you reach out to them, and you invite them to impact. Now, as I look, I see that Jesus was the example of witnessing. I see the woman to whom the witness was given. And then the woman became a witness. She received the light. She passed on the light. Albert Barnes wrote, Our first business when we have found the Savior should be to make him known also to others. Now look at verse number 28 with me. And we see the process here. So the woman left her water pot. Folks, when we come to the Lord, if we're going to be used by the Lord... There are some things we have to leave behind. There are some water pots. There are some jars that we have to leave behind if we're going to be used to the Lord. One of them, in some cases, is the jar of prejudice. Verse number 27. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he had been speaking with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? The truth is the disciples were prejudiced against this woman. First, because she was a Samaritan. And in one of the Jewish prayers, when they prayed, they thanked the Lord that they were not born a worthless Samaritan. Secondly, she was a woman. And a woman had no rights. Thirdly, she was immoral. So the disciples were prejudiced against this woman. You see, if we are going to reach people, then we're going to have to leave behind the jar of prejudice and understand red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. That Jesus died for all. Uh, For some, it is the jar of materialism. If you're going to be a witness for Christ, some will have to leave behind the jar of materialism because we get so caught up in our pursuit of the things of this world. We were having a fundraiser in the last church that I pastored, and many of you met John Norman, dear friend of mine. In fact, he was here at our anniversary. He's an attorney in Oklahoma City and and just a precious friend to me. But uh, at that time, he was a nominal member of the church, and as I prayed about it, I felt that the Lord wanted him to be the chairman of our fundraising uh, endeavor. So I went to him, and I said, John, I believe that God wants you to be the chairman of our fundraiser. He said, well, I can't do that. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? He said, well, I have, and, and he had a, a lecture series that he was doing in London. He had all of these uh, things that were on his calendar. And I said, well, you know, John, I said, I don't understand it. I said, I really feel impressed in my heart that God wants you to do it. So I'm not going to accept your no. Unt- unt- <clears throat> excuse me, until you come back to me and tell me that God has told you you're not supposed to do it. About a week later, he came back and he said, okay, I'll do it. He said, I've cleared my calendar and I will do it. As a result of that, though he had been a nominal member of the church, he became one of the most committed members of the church and he became one of the most generous members of the church as the Lord used him.
For some of you, if you're going to be used to the Lord, you've got to get rid of the jar of materialism. Some it's the jar of pleasure because you're caught up in all the pleasures of this world. For some it is the jar of selfishness. So she left her jar behind and her eyes were open. Verse number 29, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. You know, the jar no longer blocked her view of those people who probably had been unkind to her. And the woman saw, look at verse number 39. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. I love that story. She saw the people in her town, these men who probably had used and abused her. She saw them as lost in need of a savior. She told them about her encounter with Christ. And the Bible says that many of those men came to know Jesus because of her. And look what Jesus says to us in verse number 35. Do, you not, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. You and I can wring our hands and we can despair. But the truth of the matter is there's probably never been another, a better time to share the gospel of Christ. When I was in college, there was a young man there who was a Christian, dedicated Christian. His name was Tony. I don't remember his last name. But he was standing out one day, and I came upon him, and I saw that tears were in his eyes. I said, Tony, what's wrong? And he said, as I look out over this campus, he said, I wonder how many of these students are going to die without the Lord. My friend, you have family members who need to know the Lord. You have friends who need to know the Lord. You know one of the great thrills for me right now? Is that so many of our students are reaching out to their friends and bringing them to church. In fact, Linda was telling me a couple of weeks ago that she had come in and she said, I had to move twice. Because she came in and started to sit down. They said, we can't sit here. So I've got these people coming. She said, okay. She went to the other pew and there were some people there, some students there who said, you can't sit here. So I've got some Friends coming. I don't, what a, I'm so proud of y'all. I really am. I am so proud of you the way that you're reaching out to people because that's what the Lord has called on us to do. And let me conclude real quickly. We're called to be witnesses, and I am convinced that if we witness, that we will lead people to faith in Christ. John brought us as a young man became a Christian. He is a, a, a great historic figure in Southern Baptist life. In fact, his daughter and grandchildren are buried in our cemetery. But he came to know Jesus as a young man, and after he became a Christian, he went to his friend, a farm boy, Sandy Jones, and shared Jesus with him, and Sandy became a Christian. Well, then John went off and went on to college, and then he went to seminary and so forth. He said, every time I would be back anywhere near Sandy... He had always come to hear me speak and said every time he would come up and stick out his hand and said, thank you, John. Thank you, John. When John Broadus was dying, he said, I rather think the sound sweetest to my ears in heaven next to the welcome of him whom I have not seen, I've tried to love and serve, will be the welcome of Sandy Jones as he will thrust out his great hand and say, howdy, John. Thank you, John. My friend, 
My prayer for you and for me is when we get to heaven and we walk the portals of heaven, that there are going to be people coming up to you. Say, thank you, John. Thank you, David. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you, Buster. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. I pray that you will take the opportunity that is yours, the call that is yours, and tell people about Jesus. Our gracious Father and God, thank you for the opportunity that you have given to us. Thank you for allowing us to be ministers of the gospel, witnesses of Christ. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless that we might reach people for Christ. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed in just a moment, the choir is going to sing. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As we extend an invitation, there are many of you, and the Lord has put someone on your heart that you can reach out to this week. I want you to just come to the altar. Commit it to the Lord. Commit that person to the Lord. Pray for them. Just come and get on your knees and pray for that person. Then you can return to your seat. There are some of you who are without Christ. I trust that you'll come to Christ, trusting him today. The staff will be here to receive you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. But as you remain seated, the choir sings, I'm going to ask that you come and pray for those that you want to see saved. If you want to be a member of this church, you come and take the hand of some staff member. The choir sings.